Pinch Bright Quarterly presents Phil Elliott at the Pen and Pencil Club. Um, the bathrooms are right behind the bar over there, and there's also one upstairs that anyone needs to know. Tonight we have a double feature. It's a small press reading and a slam bam thank you man, which we'll all cover later. Don't worry about that. Coming at you now is seven fantastic readers. David Olympio, Katie Ayonada, Sabe Torres, Mai Schwartz, Kerwin Southern, boom, and Alina Pleskova. But first we have Emma Brown Sanders. Emma Brown Sanders is a queer Philly poet originally from Chicago. She co-hosts Poetry Jobs, a podcast with Alina Pleskova, and recently put out a chapbook called Release Fantasy, which is just a fantastic title. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> it's available at Philadelphia Fair, and I'm sure probably tonight as well. You can find her work at Full Stop Bunga Culture. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fellows, Recreation League, and right now. Please welcome Emma Brown Sanders, everybody. Hey everybody. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Kevin. I'm really excited to kick off the Lelia. It's going to be an awesome few days. Um, and if you haven't listened to Poetry Johns yet, my podcast for Bolina, you should do so. PoetryJohns.com. Gabriel and Ahad. Mohina Sage was our most recent guest, and he's fantastic. So that's my little pitch. All right, I'm going to read some new stuff tonight that I'm still kind of figuring out. Three new poems, and they're sort of in conversation with each other. Uh, the first two don't have titles, the last one does. Sam can't take my eyes off you till you hack, then say, did you get that? Did you get that on the track? Fingers dancing, like skeleton gifts, so the bones make a noise only hollow can hear. Oh, give head to hand, give hand head whatever possible. They want to be pleasured in the pacifist sense. Can't we be Dada for once, smacking our thighs together in the midst of a new millennium? It is sort of irrelevant, the year. I mean, are you keeping track in something other than seconds? The sun comes, I burn down where you are, and the afterwork leaves both of us covered in marks. I think you have some intuition, fucking you in the cloud where the cloud is thought. Reconcile the massive space the cloud takes up as thought and think some. Our burns are junk shop parts, crushed to melt tongues. How some butter is sold sweet. You seem to exist some, so wallop me again with gaze. My insight is separatist, isn't that what we do? End of lousy communication, end of crap translations. Pick a decent native language like fluidity or delight. Collapse pattern of complaint into an altar which folding like efficiency upon itself wore a hole the size of his fist in the floor. Eve appeared to me once. She said, this fig makes me wanna throw up. I laughed. I smashed a grape or two against the refrigerator to really make a scene of it. I punted off a lot of accountability, then made like Shylock and shook. I didn't want to be so eligible anymore, or at least not sacrifice my cushy travel reams, which were made of especially thin paper. Eve said, have you ever heard of responsibility? You aren't a damn island woman. I said, I am. I am a damn island. I am. 
The room spun like a disco womb. The hinged door danced, made of balance, basically, and wine dripped down the refrigerator door. The leaf breeze rustles my lush into you, and breasts are the best way to say hello. A woman tells her dog it's smart. A moth lands on my cheek, so I smooch it away. The alertness of inertia hailing us. You move like science. I want to be just like your brain, holding in holes for knowledge, so inert in our absence. Abstraction of feeling is endogenously relayed, so I stop running and finger your hip flexors, making my muscles all the wilder. It's a filling recession that coalesces into negative space. How to be pleasant, I mean present, no begging now, no want. I quit the track because the pacing was extraneous and instead run circles around my own ways. And coming up on caring, I laugh and spit into an empty soda bottle, a bottomless beat. We theorize how to play them. As gender becomes a thing I buy into, Oki says, think of who you want to rewrite yourself as. I think of growing out my body hair while stoned I am opposite fantasizing bare spaces. What is it about ignorance and purity that I cannot erase? I have kissed the jaded in their raggedity and I'm discouraged. In the bar excuses echo in a short chortle, which is sounding very weak to me. When he lays his head in my lap, which spirals of thought will I hold on to and in tender tug let go of? Wasted, I say, to have no expectation. Is that bliss? This radical still, and my palm is a crater key. This is the last poem I'm going to read tonight. Here's my little intro. Uh, this winter, my roommates and I had a party, and it was a pretty great party. This dude brought jello shots, and he also brought a smoke machine. And then late during the party, he accidentally chugged the liquid that gets poured into the smoke machine. Um, anyway, I started dancing with somebody at this party, and we've been dancing ever since. This is the last poem. It's called How Desire Is Not Like a Goal. Drugs these days are manufactured with such excellence that we can't feel anything but fine. You were washed in blue like a new day could even be that color, or give head to hand so I could hold the jelly bronze of Jay's arm and sway. On tiptoe, I bent backwards so we could echo till your sweat dripped off my lips, having come straight from your skin, so I licked. How is it that bodies so adore, they need to touch in false tribute to constancy, my dank illusion, slipping in and out of identity like my bones are made of gelatin, like I've already been processed at a weirdly distant factory. Expression gets kind of heady when I'm rolling into whatever feeling, like carrying a candle in lieu of a lighter onto the roof. Assemblage is another way to save board. I prefer to let inertia build. Tugging a spiral curl in tribute to your somethingness. Teeth click to somersault the sky. Endogenous opioids, I think they are hailing us, bounding back towards your head as if they aim to stay. Thank you.
Everyone just say David Olympio. David Olympio. What does that mean? David Olympio Tibio. David Olympio grew up in Texas, but currently lives and writes in northern New Jersey. He believes that we create ourselves through the stories we tell, and that is what he aims to do every day. Usually you can find him driving his truck around the garden state with his dogs. He's been published in Barrel House, The Nervous Breakdown, The Austin Review, Crate, and elsewhere. David is the author of This Is Not a Confession, Post Press 2016. You can find more about him at davidolympio.com, at Not So Linear, and here, this very evening, right before your eyes. <laughs> Thanks for having me tonight. Uh, so um, I've got this new book out, This Is Not a Confession. Uh, it's put out by a press called Boss Press, and they're at the Philalia. Am I saying that right? I, I don't have to say it very often. He's in charge. Ah. There's no words. Yeah. Ah. Um, anyway, we are at the Boss Press is at the table. There's a, a, a very friendly uh, guy named Philip there who would Glad you can sell you my book. But I've also got some copies here tonight if anybody's interested. Um, I'm going to read one piece from it. It's called Good with Numbers. Good with Numbers. Zero times. The zero. The nothing. Reciting the zeros is all about repetition. Zero is persuasive. Zero is full of ego. Throw in a goddamn zero, and the other number becomes a zero. Every time, I swear it to you, this is not bullshit. No matter how old you are, you will eventually be a zero. Doesn't matter what the other number is, how proud, or how big, or how small. Go up against a zero, and you become a zero. Every time, I swear it to you, this is not bullshit. One times. One times one is itself. One does not project itself onto other numbers like zero. It is egoless. It is non-persuasive. Put one up against another number, and it becomes the other number. One times myself is always myself. One times dad is always dad. One is how we begin to be something other than zero. One is always longing to be something more than one. We will continue becoming more than one until we hit zero. Two times. Dad and me, lying on the bed in a guest bedroom in our house, which is a house where he no longer lives, staring at the ceiling and doing times tables while I think about dinosaurs. <laughs> Let's do twos, he says. Can we read the dinosaur book, I say? Let's do all of them, through the nines, he says, then the dinosaur book. Dinosaurs lived 200 million years ago, I say. <laughs> yes, he says. Is that older than you, I say? <laughs> yes, he says. That is older than me. How old are you, I say? I am 33 years, he says. Three times. The crowded three. My dad, my stepmom, me. Summer vacations, word games, on road trips, in a minivan. The triad, wrong. The flatted third, the minor chord. I believe in threes. I believe in repetitions of three. A fun game would be to find three different uses for the word van. We already have one <laughs> minivan. We only need two more. Four times. My half-brother made our three into a four. 
He was born in 1984, which is also a divisible vote for, and which is 11 years after the year I was born. 1984 is the year that makes me think of Van Halen and checkered bandanas and Vans sneakers. I got two. <laughs> every four is made up of a two, but not every two is made up of a four. Fourteen is not made up of a four, even though there was a four in the note. Four is nice and round and comfortable. Four doesn't seem hungry, and four doesn't walk for friends. Among other things, four makes a good placement at a dinner table. Four-day weekends at Dad's were way better than two. More catfish caught on chilly Dallas mornings at Lake Ray Hubbard. More Pac-Man at Quarter Arcades. More trips to the video store for VHS rentals. Day one of four seemed like such a long time. Five times. When you recite the fives, you really only need to remember two numbers, five and zero. Also, every other five is even, and every other five is odd. Aging is best observed in five-year increments. For instance, school reunions are best kept five years apart. I am eight times five, which is also divisible by four and two. Dad and mom were married two times five years. The first five, which may have been the best, were without me. The last five? The last five? The last five? Six times. I used to count the days by six packs of 6.5% pale ale. If you buy two six packs at one time, then you have more ways to divide the days before you need to return to the beer store. One each day for 12 days is the hardest to maintain, but the most responsible. Two each day for six is optimistic. Three gets you four days and four gets you three. Six will get you two nights passed down on the couch. Twelve only gets you one of those, but costs you an additional one in recovery, so it's like a double win. <laughs> seven times. Reciting sevens was easy because I knew about football scores. I knew the 14 and the 21 and the 35 and the 42. I'd seen a few 49s, but not a 56 or a 63. The 70 and the 77 were virtually unheard of and the 84. It's just crazy talk. <laughs> Every other weekend, I flew in a 737 between Houston and Dallas. When Dad drove me to Love Field to fly home to Mom, we listened to Sunday football. My favorite player was John Elway, who wore seven. On January 11, 1987, Dad and I sat in the airport parking garage together, listening as John Elway executed a series of plays known today as The Drive. We do that when a game is really exciting, just sit in the car with the radio on, listening to the score, until we absolutely had to go inside. Never wanted to go inside. Eight times. My dad says 80 is the age. It's the age for all of us, he says. The men with our last name, we only go to 80. Then we throw a zero. 80 is 8 times 10 or 16 times 5. If you graduate high school at 18, 80 would get you roughly 12 five-year reunions. <laughs> Great-grandpa Julio was 80 in seven months. Papa was 80 in five months, just like his brother Frank. Great-uncle Joe, who was terrified by the 8 vote, actually saw 8-1 for 10 days or two fives. Dad, who is now seen 66 and is good with numbers, has had cancer twice. 66 is twice 33. He's still not as old as the dinosaurs. <laughs> it's about nine times a five-year high school reunion. 
yards, two touchdowns, and two point afters away from me. Not long ago, I became halfway to eight. Go up against a zero, you become a zero. Every time. I swear to you, this is not bullshit. Let's so everybody uh, give it up to Kevin Burrell for a minute. Woo! Uh, so no, thank you for your publisher and thank you for all you do for all of us. Thank you so much. Katie Ionato is the author of the chapbook, Yield Signs Don't Exist. Contributions include The Toast, The Best of Philadelphia Stories, Cleaver Magazine, Schuylkill Valley Journal, Hawaii Review, and elsewhere. She's been nominated for two Pushcart Prizes and has been a finalist for both the Sandy Crimmins National Poetry Prize and the Bucks County Poet Laureate Competition. She teaches writing and literature at Temple University and the College of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, please, Katie Ayonara. I'm so excited to be here. It feels like being in a secret club, which is always really fun. <laughs> so I'm going to read um, three poems. The first two are, um, well, all three of them have to do with place or location. The first two are pretty narrative, and then the third one is a little uh, less so. So this first one, oh, they're all in my uh, chapbook. The first one, the poem it's a reference to Allen Ginsberg, but I can't really say that it's an homage to him. It's more just that I needed a title and that popped into my head. So it's called A Supermarket in Pennsylvania. I saw my old psychiatrist at Trader Joe's sampling organic hand lotion. We last faced off 50 milligrams ago when he talked about stress and I watched the clock's hands march, an army of gears ticking like the rattle of pills. This two-pill day, I gathered dried fruit, herbs, everything organic. My old shrink, smaller and grayer, bags peppers and free-range chicken with his dark-haired wife. Tense despite the lavender plant I hold, my gaze flings to my partner in everything, weighing cranberries versus apricots. He has seen me through depleted one-pill days. My old shrink has brown bags, happier than dopamine, and I want to block his exit, show him my fruit bars and partner, whose perfect serotonin levels mock health insurance. <laughs> I am eight years, 200 milligrams better. I buy only organic, and my lavender plant doesn't talk back. I see my shrink slip away, an expired prescription. We pay for the plant and the dried cranberries, which I have told the engineer tastes best. And then the next one, the next one came from being stuck in, in traffic on Broad Street, um, being late to, to work. And being stuck in traffic, I just found myself panicking because I was late. And then also looking at all the signs that were around, whether they were street signs or signs of businesses. And they're really a plethora of just bizarre signs all over the, the city. I don't know if anyone's noticed, but once you start noticing, you kind of can't stop. And that's where I got this poem. And the poem references a whole bunch of signs. Um, 
So I'll try to emphasize them. It's called Grocery Drinks, Cigarettes, Beauty. Stopping traffic on Broad Street, minutes shrink fast. Erie Avenue. My great grandfather laid tile, sailed home, laid tile, stayed home. Surely I can drive 20 blocks in 10 minutes, but I'm stopped, even though no stopping anytime, no catcalling anytime. If catcalls could carry me past rush hour, I would ride the swell of baby and princess like a damn parade float, wave at tiny sidewalk figures from my crepe paper palace. Southbound trains to Patterson rumble below. A token is how much? I should run underground, maroon my car, an unlit buoy in this sea of engines. I should count fried chicken shops like sheep, open my eyes and be at work. 24-hour car wash, $3.74. They're always nightclub busy, and no passenger ever lets me find out why. Why do I live so far away? Why do I turn off my alarm and sleep? Cumberland, two minutes. York, Dolphin, orange cones, orange cones everywhere. Susquehanna, one minute over. I'm reading Breathless Signs, Leeds Chinese and American Foods, Unmoving, Natural Hair, Braids, Locks, Hot Oil, Quick Weaves, People Pack Corners, Buses Half By, Please, Please Let Us All Get Where We're Going. And then there's one more that is about driving in the opposite direction. I don't know, I, mean, I wrote these in within a couple months of each other, so I don't know why I was so preoccupied with driving, but I kind of feel like we write the same poems over and over again sometimes, or at least I do. This is called Saturday After Christmas, 1am. I-95 North Home, river on my right. Headlights on empty miles, billboards cranked high. Even trash can fires, dead now. A detour unneeded. Your house unlit, car curved. With half a tent left, I can do anything. Do you remember spring? Parking lot talks, firebird hair, and now something like regret. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, uh, not everybody. Right. Seve Torres is a poet, father, and college professor. His work has appeared in Crab Orchard Review, Mead, the magazine of literature and libations, and Dismantle, the Vana Anthology. He currently teaches at Rowan University in Rutgers, Camden. Please welcome Seve Torres. Um, so, again, thank you for organizing um, and goodbye as well. Um, all right, so I have three poems that I'm going to share today, um, and they're all new poems, right? After a period of not writing probably for a year and a half, right? So um, there is an edge. One day while we were waiting for the bus, Daniel told me that M thought she liked me. The thought blossomed in the labyrinth. Corridors of walls sprung up, and I threw language at them all like lines in lords, waiting for a bite. I grew exasperated waiting for truth. 
spoke to the sky about the cold twist of meeting M's sister first, but the language we shared at the edge was bigger than us. Lineages we couldn't possibly know. The weight of all that poetry wore on us, buckled speech in confrontation. This is back when we folded notes written in jail and back when our loves were an 81 bus ride away. Back when the stereotype of being Puerto Rican was how we never handled a heart with respect, how we cut flesh with razor blades and poured anger out like rum in the night sky. These all came from the lips of a mother who knew that there was something alive in us, something that traced the edge of the acceptable. And she knew this before it became true in my body, before the edge and I would first meet. It is fate that her eldest daughter taught me how beautiful it could be the day she kissed someone else, the day my heart broke open and light poured in the color of rose water. Spit seeds. When the growl in the stomach forces the mouth to open and pour oxygen down into the lungs, when the walk leans forward and the shoulders roll ready to let arms free, eyes narrow under the weight of smile, to drown in the fullness of this beauty, there is hunger here. This hunger full of risk and hard choices, yearning to consume the whole apple, spit seeds to the floor and white lips with the back of the hand. The same one with raised veins holding this body up through thrust and stroke, through step and stalk. There he is, the one you kept contained, held in like silence. He is the you that pushes against the stomach when anxiety demands release. The spirit that ran through the rainforest in your body with all your senses flashing as you grip stones with shoes designed to run flat surfaces. He is the you that marathoned two hours of sex into a lust so powerful it wrecked your heart for six months. When she slapped you the first time, he growled in her face for more. This is more than love. This is what crawled first out of the water, what Lucifer felt as he fell when time first gripped his cock and power coursed through his risen flesh. This is the thump of a heart saying, fuck a thought. I want bourbon and darkness, a cheap hotel room and ice. I want to lose myself in a New Orleans night to catch a glimpse of right in a side eye slipping like a shadow around a wall. I want walls to burst when I walk near them and cool breeze from the east. I want to blow thick fog smoke into your face so you finally know what you've been missing. So you can taste the violence like aluminum foil scraping teeth bringing you to the eye of it. Blood thick as the space between the choice you make every day to pretend I don't exist. And flesh so soft, a bite is all it takes to rapture. Um, and then one more poem, right? Um, this poem is called Sainted. The gods are with you. There is no spoon to sink into sweet flesh, only teeth sharp as hawk gaze and talons long as Monday. Or are they hands caught at the speed of violence, whistling air like bird call in hundred degree afternoons, deep in Sacramento Valley, where brown grass stands drought against the backdrop of green cactus, copper rose thorns and pale blue sky, where the body sweats into night and cars sauna drivers into thirst. Some places take names and leave colors. Red and blue where you froms line streets as people drink cool water or stray bullets like exploding umbrellas 
relish jelly fishing into flesh on corners. Vision the whole world from a driveway, sipping 211, chasing ghosts until dawn. On a Saturday after work, leather skin, a deep Chicano brown, and poets drop bars and jokes because laughter burns like sage. But where were the gods when Carlos alone in an alley raised fist to fight, swallowed in the maelstrom of 20 bloods, or when sisters were taken by force underneath the bleachers and male silence? Did we forget to sacrifice a chicken, burn incense, or offer cream on a spoon? Was the honey that dripped from our tongues not sweet enough for the hungry mouth of a jealous god? Did we not earn our sadness or break beautifully enough into song? Where were they when blade crossed vein? Thigh and stomach beating blind red blood on lights, golden sheets or upturned bottles as he yells her from driveway to living room where the gods inside us all along as she crept behind his back into our bed like hungry fury. Do they lust for these moments between praise and worship like red wine aged in oak barrels? Charcoal our tongues on pure anger and tannin necks purple from glancing shoulders for the person who robbed us. Villain a studio full of equipment through cracked window. Maybe there is a purpose hidden deep within prayer or long pulls of fog from aluminum foil. Do gods eat the excess flesh and scratch arms raw? Consume sleep whole from an addict's eyes? How can we tell what's holy in a place like this? Will we break into sprint at light rail stops to avoid tickets for movement from one hell to another in search of sweet flesh or the promise of a kiss at a movie theater, a spoonful of cool ice cream or a night when we can dance with stars, walk a river and jump a fence into happiness? How much blood must they take before we can crunch gravel under new shoes, before we stain glass our lives in beauty? How much worship is enough to stay alive? When will our three miracles be enough? What I said, beekeeper, bookkeeper? I am a bookkeeper, I'm not a, no, I'm a bug. <laughs> Let's just go at it. Not a bookkeeper. <laughs> My Schwartz is a poet, a storyteller, a sometime beekeeper, an unofficial historian, and a native of New Jersey with lots of opinions about diners and malls. Based in West Philly for the last six years, Mai spends most of their time growing plants, teaching others to do the same, and editing Apiary Magazine. Thank you for that. Vangel and Mai Schwartz. Can't be a boy, be a houseboat. <laughs> be the black line snaking below like an afterthought. Be the daylight's pie chart carved out in wedges. One part sky, two part trees, three parts. What do you call a smudged mirror where you can't find your face? The man perched like a hole in the canvas is not his taste on the roof of your mouth. Be two green doors like the longest eyes. Guard him. 
The rafters in the roof of the boat can't say why there's more red in the leaves as they appear in the water than on the branches where they're still alive, but also still paint. Be the embattled horizon, yourself at 16. By what alchemy is this confusion of paint and water, words and light? Who powers the secret engine? I always jump right into that poem, and the reason I do that is that uh, the title is in French, and I still can't pronounce it. This is a little scene that I made. Sometimes I call it My Mouth and Other Archives. Sometimes I just call it Fibonacci. So you never happened. So you ate your nascent organs under a tarp. This too has a history. It's a question of some interest. I only wash my hands if someone watches. <laughs> this isn't where I lost it. It's where there's light to look up. Take this shrapnel, carbon it, as if we needed proof. When the monster divorces her pain, who will sign for it? Who will testify? How gauche to be a perpetual dissatisfaction machine. <laughs> to thrash the podium demanding pain and say there was a contract. There was. But to know how it's kept. Shall we worship the shine and the floorboards? Shall we say it's time for me to shoulder your violin? I am sawn in half like a girl coffined in a magic trick. Stall me. Pretend you don't know that everywhere honeybees die with their stingers intact. Break every leg in America, baby. Stop the quad like you paid for it in nerves. The cicadas have called up their reserves just to fall around you like brittle grenades. So when the idiots line up for a diploma, cut in. Tell them to ride their tragic skins to the automatic finale. Look, Ma, I packed you a bag. Two shades of lipstick, a pen, 10 crumpled bills to tip the troll when you're afraid. Your own heart's skilled Baroque devotions, a matchstick, one held note. Otherwise, what? What I know is we're orphans of what we desire more than what we've lost. And inspired by my fucked up good poet, Seve Torres, label mate on Redmate's Blanket Press, I'm going to try something new, which I have been calling so far the weirdest thing is what we found in our throats. <laughs> to build my shaky ladder load by load. A swallow and a swallow and a swallow, hunting on the wing, draw each spot of shape to the nest by the trapdoor. Which is faulty. It lets anything by either way. It's an engine for reducing swelling, a prominence that accepts a basement with grace. I'm just spitballing here. I'm a vocalized drop for one, two, three bars. Yes, I did count. I measure each step too. 
where I have stolen my brother's birthright and I have loved the shed door banging in the wind and the razor that catches on the swallow's nest with each pass. And here the empty chambers, the dust rising in the wake of the wet, precocious and ready, riding on a gasp of inspired air, it arrives in the voice box and oils the pipes as it comes. There is no pleasure without witness, a high tunnel, a water slide. Each contraction rewrites itself and signs its doctrine below the fold. Keep your feet dry, your mouth open. If nothing else, we can rely on gravity. We can trade these fabled gums for bones in need of picking. We are verbal people. We know ourselves too well. Stout blood staggering beneath perishable stars. I've been waiting all day to read this bio. Seven things about the current version of Kerwin Sutherland. And I quote One, I love God. Two, I'm cool peeps. Three, trying to get my self care on. Four, editor of poetry for Public Pool and Apiary Issue 8, Soft Targets. Thank you for that. I was in that too. Thank you. <laughs> Five, media director for the Philadelphia Poetry Collab Group. Six, deep breathing helps. Seven, slam poet always and not ashamed. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up, Kerwin Sutherland. All right, so oh. uh, before I get started, I want to plug a uh, a show at the ICA on September 17th on Saturday at 6. Um, Mr. Reading with uh, Yolanda Wisher, Natalie Diaz, and Christian Campbell. I'll be on the side, you know, like just basking in the glow of uh, <laughs> reading some pop-up poems. So yeah, please come to that. Um, so I'm going to read a very new poem. It's called uh, A Litany of Remixes after Langston Hughes. I am the darkest brother, hanging above your dinner table, burnt feet swimming in the mashed potatoes my mama made. She comes to the gathered company in a trance with a blade so close to her thigh she drips blood. She hopes one day she can open each and every throat. Until then, we are morsels of soul food scraping off ourselves to feed you. I am the darkest brother, tending the field, lacing the cooking herbs with some poisonous liquid, folding all my hopes into the execution of a recipe, eyes on the big house waiting. Will a light bulb from the windows? Will a blood-curdling scream caress my face and lift it from hell to see the heaven of masses death? I am the darkest brother. With a gun that just appeared in my hands and blisters that just started popping off bullets, Django-style trip. 
fever dream or self-actualized bloodstorm. All I know is body after body flying out the plantation and landing at my feet. A pool of anatomy wrapped around ankles reminds me of the guts of a ship. How the bodies packed, ordered, like that was enough to show the death of a world. I hope this is true. That slavery will die with these murders, my birthday. But Juneteenth, every time I cock the shotgun back, I am the darkest brother. Searching for the perfectly drawn trope to drop my net Tar Turner fantasy into. But anger keeps sticking to my brain like a glob of unwashed trauma. So I see lynching everywhere. So what is the Civil Rights Act? What is the Emancipation Proclamation? What is the flag and anthem to me? To a nigger, what is getting over it? I am the darkest brother over it. Smiling at the thought of corporate America buying my heart. Anger aflame hidden by cages of matter I own, but do I own what keeps the revolution killing me? Cause I die by revolt every day while my erection says fuck yeah to a wall of green presidents. Do you see how this can confuse? Do you see how I am called African and American but still invisible in the middle? I am the darkest brother whose tongue is split between old and new Negro, respectability and bastard, low-cut Caesar and naughty dread, suit and sagging, yes sir, and why you gotta see my ID, champagne and henny, riot and shut up, silence and swinging, nigga and a funeral for, choose one, good or bad black, to live here for identification purposes, to let everyone know how you should die. I am the darkest brother, basking, baking in the stomach of Francis Scott Key, cells frying when the dial reaches the highest note. It's the freedom and the detail that separates death from life. Death is melting with the third verse of the Star Spangled Banner branded on your tongue. Life is excising a bone and using it to split a tire corny symbol down the middle. And ain't that brave of me? Ending a song before everybody agrees it doesn't represent home anymore? I ain't got no home or a name. A brother, the darker brother, the darkest brother, celebrate, celebrating his own emancipation on paper. I too riff and run America. Thank you. This poem is not about Ryan Lochte <laughs> or me or all the history that was brought to America on pack ships. It's more about words that led to a sentence that led to a story which could be true when you look at the white picture or could be not if you don't usually let color modify your understanding of lies definition because lies can shapeshift can transform from little white to blade dripping with black blood if you give it time and space and power and a white woman who don't want her husband to find sweet cum in her secrets so she, so, so she yelled rape 
pointed to a nigger, said him. The nigger she described was actually a frame of night, not any person in particular, just a shadow white hoods could project any old beast into. The fantasy of the KKK is to dream up a big black sky and burn it down with a flaming cross. Call it religion. Call it the sanctification of a white woman's word. But this poem ain't about Ryan, ain't about, well, ain't about what Ryan Lochte told his mama or me or all the big black sky swinging from Rosewood posts, more about how much air it takes to produce a wolf whistle and how the ear can trick itself into believing a sound occurred. Maybe Emmett just winked or said hi, or maybe he said nothing and the whistle the woman heard was the door swinging a who cares back at her. And maybe that was the mirror she never wanted to look into. Maybe she told her husband Emmett Till sexually harassed her because she wanted to disfigure herself, but Emmett got caught in the crossfire. Maybe she was just angry, wanted to see something happen, wanted to see how far a town would go to preserve her vanity, and Emmett was caught in the water under her tongue. Maybe all some white people have to do is talk, and a new Jim Crow flies from an open casket. But this poem isn't about a system Ryan Lochte swam through, or me, or all the dead black bodies now unraveling from the American flag, but isn't it interesting that in America it's patriotic to leave fatally wounded black people in the pavement and freeze? I mean, the interesting part is that the police freeze after, after they scare their bullets out of their jackets, before they clutch their shaky guns and give the suspect horns and wings, after they huddle and create the story, before they tell the suspect to keep calm while waving the gun, you know, the regular procedure. After they wait while the blood leaves, while the breath goes, while they smash the body cam, while they high five, before the suspect flew above them, so they had to do it. Because the alleged human wouldn't stop flying, so the trigger had to be pulled. It had to be done. After they all take off their black and blue and slick their dues and starch their collars and rehearse the murder again, so it seems like they are the victims, so it seems like the murder they committed actually injured them more than the family in all black, like the never-ending hunger of the graves and all our stomachs are such a burden to them. But this poem could never be about what Ryan Lochte, this poem could never be about Ryan Lochte sitting across from Matt Lauer while holding Brazil's fate between his teeth or me, except he is white and male. So when he blames a dark region for a minor inconvenience, I hear blood rushing out of different holes. I hear military spraying and bombing and dropping and droning. I hear church melting and being built back up, then bombed, then being built back up, then shot up. I hear a million necks snap open and swing and still swinging. I hear an ocean of slaves milling around. I hear the streets talking all night about sirens and gunshots and chalk. I hear a child seeing bodies drop. I hear children learning how to survive before they learn how to live. I hear neighborhoods trying to bust out of a box made for them by the same white mouth Ryan Lochte spit his fake ass story out of. But that's just me. My story. Just a nigga song that ain't true. This poem ain't about no nigga. Ain't no poem ever been about no nigga. No nigga. No. Thank you.
Alina Pleskova lives in Philly and strives to maintain optimum chill. <laughs> she is the co-editor with Jackie Sedicario of Bedfellows, a literary magazine focused on sex, desire, and intimacy, and co-host with Emma Sanders, Poetry Johns, a podcast. Recent work can be found in Queen, Queen, Mob, Queen Mob's Tea House, Public Tools, and Seafoam Mag. Please welcome our final, final reader of the night before the wild and crazy slam bam thank you man. Ladies and gentlemen, Alina Pleskova. I am going to see us out with some poems about disappointing sex. That's what I'm writing about now. Um, <laughs> which is a lot more fun and liberating than writing about good sex, which is so easy. Uh, uh, the manuscript is tentatively called What Urge Will Save Us. And this first poem is actually from Public Pool. So thanks, Carwin and Don Carlos, for uh, publishing it. It's called Wonder Wheel. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yes. Wonder Wheel. Jack, I found the blistered tip of summer swinging over the peninsula's edge. A stoned Rusalco ran ashore in little Odessa with pastel wigs slanted, petrified in lip gloss. Viewed from above, this place springs a leak in my limbic system, waiting for parents and their friends to shop for discount furs, upturned in adolescent perversion, and the black box glowing with bad channels just loud enough, knees in the carpet, figuring out how to make myself shake and shake in a way no visitor could replicate or even mimic, but I kept a list anyway, asterisks next to those who came closest. I'm talking out my want, Jack, and I'm trying to remember which where I'm in now, hang back in the mother tongue haze, shaping Cyrillic aloud. I only want to say, but that's later. We've been never since the start, and what to do with it now. I don't know if a poem could go on forever, Jack, as you say, but Kim wrote on Twitter, what else do we ruin our lives for? And Alice Notley wrote, I'll fuck up your life, your cute life. And Masha Dupitzen wrote on Alice Notley, why shouldn't you not know what hit you? I thought it'd be more years of men repeating my jokes louder. Instead, I swallowed something electric. What I mean is, how doomed are we who, despite our intelligence, believe in retrograde panic and the redemptive properties of shoegaze, raspberry kush, ceiling fans, blue moon magic, sage, the pull-out method, a trap street in England called Live Close. It all might be real. If no feeling's final, I'll pick a point to steady myself, call it horizon or the simulacrum I hold fast anyway and see for how long. Jack, if you keep me talking, one day I'll tell you what I'm really thinking about. Magpie. Alone now, but like radically. <laughs> Turns out no such creature steals shiny objects for a nest. I spent a while verifying this. Folklore so rarely runs parallel to reality and the afternoon plainly wasted already. No afterglow and no one left on the to-do list. Same mild satiation as after a bland meal. What wants are left, said new someone. And I sped through every welt, every well-worn route to sunrise, every kink indulged until fringe turns its own vanilla, every throat pulse caught and held, throbbing some name escapes kiss, mine accented as a language stretch. 
Ali now on a bus with summer print post font stretch, summoning every stillness where the shutter should have been and every cheery shower whistle after. Gala says of her girlfriend, I summoned her, now I deal with her. Devotion like the best curse you can hope to suffer. Once we held out for months, waiting to learn who was crueler and I wanted you to win. Call it a masochism loop or cage bird blues, or as a favorite ex put it, people can tolerate infinite damage of this variety. What's left to want when the doors never latched? Hey, yeah, still up, compressed here, it's never enough. But at luckiest, the white light holds for an instant. I'm in my Saturn return right now. I don't know if any of you guys are. It's a period between like 27 and 32 where you just like lose your shit about everything. Um, so I wrote a poem about it called Saturn Return. Everyone hurries a touch in the moody weather. February of no surplus or deficit, no lingering beside risk. I cave first and call from the stairwell where it's allowed to get personal. So much for your fixed sign and a wobbled laugh on delay. This muddy mood is cut with cautious sunlight, even if the headline says, more than 100,000 want to go to Mars and not return. I've got man-repellent lipstick, a new trauma aesthetic for the rough season. Shade named dirty money, smudge-proof for all those late, late capitalist nights spent plotting to make the still world whirl again. Wait there a minute while I tidy up this condition. Reclaiming my life meant divesting, explains an article about hoarding. As if I get to choose how long her needed perfume clings, as if logic can be applied like a compress to the forehead. The difficulty of divesting isn't in discarding, it's knowing what to keep, but I recall our particulars all wrong, which is to say, incandescently. Last one. Don't call me, I'm practicing for our threesome. <laughs> Thoughts all sing song like nobody knows where I am right now. Stroll the wrong way with dress trailing mid-air when all the bars let out and some bodies come so close we pass right through each other. Every jolt of pleasure attuned at once, a shock to the system. The clock tower chimes an alarm for those of us tensed and ready to walk the high wire from ardor to fury and back again when we wake. 13th Street starlets fan out their lashes, curbside, holler, get it, honey, which I take to mean, quit sleeping easy, and shimmy down the back street to slip off all this reserve, the wonder itself suddenly enough. Thank you. podcast is the property of Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. All rights reserved.